I'm reading from Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through to 6. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everybody. And I welcome Jenny back up. Well, keep your Bibles open to uh, Colossians chapter 4. It's a slightly shorter passage. Sometimes the shorter passages are a little bit easy to get our minds and, and, uh, uh, and hearts around because it's a little bit more containable. I'm going to pray for us as we uh, come to this part of Scripture. Father, we thank you for fellowship. Uh, we thank you for um, lovely food and uh, tea and coffee. We thank you again for those who, have, who are serving us today uh, with morning tea. So Elizabeth and the others there, we thank you for them. We thank you, Father, now as we come to your word again, and we thank you that uh, you enable us to understand, and we pray that by your spirit you would enable us to understand so that we would know how to keep walking in Christ. And so we commit our, this next session to you, Father, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to start with an admission, or perhaps I should say it's more of a confession. Um, I have been known to watch reality TV. Now, I don't want you to lose respect for me. Um, Perhaps you have already. Uh, I have uh, watched various seasons of My Kitchen Rules, and I always say, I'm not going to watch it again. And then all it takes is just watching one episode, and I think, well, I better find out what happens to that couple or something. And uh, same with MasterChef. I do love Survivor, and uh, so I I find it's on too late. 8.30 is way too late. I'm asleep around that time, so that's a little bit uh, disappointing. And I do enjoy Biggest Loser as well. And uh, I, I know that it is reality, that is, it is the junk food of TV, that it's they edit, they control, it's not really reality. They, it's what they want us to think in terms of reality. I know all of that. But I still find it strangely compelling when I turn the TV on and I've got the next episode of any of those shows. And I ask myself, why, Jenny, why? With everything that you've got to do, everything you need to do, everything other things that are good, why do you watch these shows? And so I think about um, The Biggest Loser, for example, and I think that the, there are a number of reasons why I enjoy watching The Biggest Loser. I mean, because I, I said that I've done Weight Watchers and Curbs and Light and Easy and Weight Watchers, maybe not an obsession, but I wanted to think about you know how I can eat well and how, how I should exercise and... Um, and so watching this show with these um, people who are being transformed and maybe they're being yelled at as well, but, um, you know, you see, you see them with their exercises, you see the sort of food that they're supposed to eat, uh, and I think usually they do for fear of being caught out by one of the trainers. But I think what I love most is the transformation that takes place. So, so about halfway through there's the makeover, and, you know, they really are, they're, they're quite... Uh, quite different. And then at the end, they're, they're almost unrecognisable. And um, I find that interesting. I find it amazing that that, that um, occurs. Uh, so I, I enjoy watching that. Um, it is uh, quite a, a transformation. 
And when we think about the Christian life, uh, it may not be as obvious or um, as uh, amazing to look at on face value, but there is a transformation that occurs that is God-powered, where we have been transformed, where we have been transferred, as Paul says in chapter 1, transferred from one kingdom to another. I mean, when you think about that, that is incredible. Paul talks about in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, of of being uh, transferred or or going from death to life. Again, if we're familiar with these concepts and and even with Colossians, we can think, yep, okay, yep, transferred one kingdom to another, yep, got that, and death to life, yep, good, I understand that. Raised with Christ, yep, done, no worries. But they're really quite amazing concepts when you think about it, and it's true. It's true for us who are in Christ. So when we think about the reality of being raised with Christ, as Paul says in chapter 3, you would expect there would be a flow-on effect. It's not just an abstract concept. It's actually something that's happened, and there's a flow-on effect. So walking in Christ, walking with Christ, is not just an abstract truth. There is a flow-on effect. But what is that flow-on effect? Or what, what does the Bible say about the flow-on effect from, the, from being transformed and being transferred? What does that actually look like? If we go to chapter 3, Paul actually um, is very concrete. Uh, he, he chooses or he points out different categories of life, husbands, wives, slaves, because in those days, not that he was saying slavery is good, but in those days it was common. And slaves were, in many respects, uh, closer to employees than they were to being in chains and, and being whipped the way we might think of slaves. But he talks about what it is to be someone who is in Christ and who is a slave or someone who is in Christ and who is a wife or, or a husband or children. So when we think about the flow and effect, there are various ways we could go. Well, what we're going to do for this session is we're going to actually think about the flow and effect on our lips. So here's a question for us to focus on as we think about this. As those who are walking in Christ, how is our speaking affected? What is the flow and effect for our speaking? For those of us who are, if we are different, we are transformed, what does that actually look like? Or how does it sound? And so we're going to be looking at these verses that Kathy read for us a minute ago. Now, context again. It's always very important uh, that we, we see what comes before, what comes after, so we're making sure that we're reading the Bible um, responsibly and we're not taking plucking things out of context. Uh, this is part of Paul's letter. That's to state the obvious. He's writing again to encourage them in their walk as Christians. He's encouraging them to not move away from where they started, even though it seems that there are religious teachers who'd come in and we're telling them what they needed to do to be better Christians or more Christian or or whatever it was. Uh, So, for example, in chapter 2, Paul addresses instructions that they had been given not to eat certain foods or that they had been told to observe certain religious traditions that actually had nothing to do with the gospel. Basically adding, so if you do this, you're better. And Paul says no. It'd be a little bit like becoming a Christian and then saying, if you really want to be a mature Christian, stop drinking coffee. Now, you say that to a Christian, it's like panic stations. 
Because where I come from in Sydney, you know, if you're a serious Christian, you're going to drink coffee, and not just any coffee, mind you, but coffee that's a certain bean and, and it's been roasted by a certain person and from a certain place and got to be ground within 10 seconds. And, I mean, it, it gets rather ridiculous. But anyway, if someone was to say you'd be a better Christian if you, if you stopped drinking coffee, that's kind of what they're hearing in Colossae. No, Paul says, no, that's, that's not on. That's not right at all. He says, here is how you grow in spiritual maturity. Here is how you continue to walk in Christ. You stay where you started. So the central verses of Colossians, I think, are verses uh, 2 to 6, sorry, chapter 2, verses 6 to 8, where he says, and this is the NIV, he says, so then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live or to walk in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. That's how you grow. That's how you continue to walk in Christ. Stay with Jesus. And so he talks in chapter 3 about family, about work, and there's a summary statement in chapter 3, verse 17. He says, whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. So that's the raised life with Christ. And so now we come to these verses and we ask ourselves, how do our words, how do our lips reflect our walk with Christ? And I think there are two ways of speaking in these verses that reflect, have that flow-on effect for those who are in Christ. And the first is in verses 2 to 4, which involves speaking to God about people, in other words, prayer. Let me just read these verses to you again. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So Paul writes, God's word says, devote yourselves to prayer. Be devoted. Certainly when we think about Paul's model of prayer, he was one who was devoted. So often we read that he says, I haven't stopped praying for you. I, I keep praying for you. I, I pray for you day and night. That's, there's a level of hyperbole there, but the, the, the point is that he is a prayer. He is one who is devoted to prayer. Jesus taught about being devoted to prayer in terms of the persistent widow. Keep praying. Epaphras In chapter 4, verse 12, the man who brought the gospel to the people in Colossae is described as one who is always wrestling in prayer for you. It's like rolling up your sleeves and getting to the work of prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. Now, when you hear about someone who is devoted, what do we think of? When we hear that uh, someone is described as, oh, she's a devoted mum, or he's a devoted family man, what do we think of? We probably um, find people who make their children or make their family a priority, giving up other things because their children, the family is important, so they are devoted to their children. They're a devoted mum, a devoted family person. And that can be hard sometimes and there are sacrifices that, that need to be made. That's the sense of the word devoted here when Paul says devote yourselves to prayer. Make it a priority. And he says... Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Being watchful and thankful. What does he mean when he says being watchful? When you think about the life of the Apostle Paul, 
I have this image of, of someone who's living their lives on tippy toes. You know when you, you go to the airport and uh, you might be arriving or you might be there waiting for someone to arrive coming through the gates and uh, people are straining their necks and on their tippy toes looking because every time the doors open there's someone coming out. Is that them? No, it's not them. Is that them? The Apostle Paul lived his life on tippy toes and what was he looking for? The return of Christ always straining forward. He knew his citizenship was in heaven. He was always looking for Christ to return. I think that's a sense here, being watchful, watching for Christ's return. What does that do to prayer when we are watchful for Christ's return? Well, for one thing, I think it makes our prayers urgent. Uh, I uh, come from a family where the majority are non-Christians. My dad's not a Christian. He's 82 uh, my brothers, my two brothers and sister, and their families are not Christians. <clears throat> um, my nieces and nephews uh, have not really been exposed very much to the gospel. I've been a Christian for around 35 years, and uh, knowing Christ's return, knowing the joy and the blessing of being in Christ, and knowing that for those who are not in Christ, they will miss out on eternity with God makes me urgent in my prayers. I want to keep praying for them. Pray that the Lord would open their hearts. Pray that that he would enable them to hear and understand. So being watchful in our prayers will bring an urgency to our prayers. Being watchful and being thankful. Thankful for all that God has done. Thankful for salvation. Thankful for the everyday stuff as well. Sometimes we can focus on salvation and and the great wonders of of our salvation. That's very important. But sometimes, often, every day in fact, God does things in the mundane of life. And we miss that, don't we? That's just life. The food we eat, uh, where we live, the schools we go to, the unis we go to, the work where we work, our families. Just the everyday stuff, the fact that we can travel on the road safely. Being thankful, recognising his good hand in everything. And for Paul, that was certainly a feature in his prayers, being watchful and thankful. So devote yourselves to prayer, he says, being watchful and thankful. And then he gives the the Colossians something that they can be praying for, for Paul. So have a look in verses 3 to 4. He prays that that he asked them to pray that God would open the door for his ministry of proclaiming Christ. Now, think about where he is when he's writing this letter to the Colossians. Where is he? He's in prison. Now, what would you be praying, or what would I be praying if I was in prison and I was praying that that, uh, the Lord would open the door (laughs) of the prison? That's a no-brainer. Of course you'd be praying that. No, Paul's not concerned about that. In fact, the reason he's in prison is most likely because of the gospel, and he often would see his imprisonment as an opportunity to preach the gospel there. So when you think about being in chains for Christ, he would have been literally sometimes, not necessarily here, but when he was writing to the Philippians, he says, I'm in chains for Christ. He would have been chained to Roman guards. Now think about it. Who was the uh, captive audience there? Probably the guards. So our first inclination might be for comfort and might be for release. Paul's first inclination was one of uh, the, the opportunities for the gospel. And so he asks for prayer, 
for opportunities to explain it plainly and clearly. I think it's wonderful that he's asking younger Christians that he didn't know to pray for him as well. There's something as a great model there as well. So Paul is talking about, as we're thinking about, the flow-on effect of the gospel on our lips. He's t- speaking about how we speak to God about people. So what does that look like for us? As we head out today, back to our families, back to our workplaces, back to our churches, back to our, you know, all the different aspects of our life, what's that going to look like? How will we speak to God about people? I mean, how, how do you pray? Sometimes it's a bit scary even to say, do you pray? Sometimes our prayer lives consist of those, what Nehemiah is known for, his arrow prayers. We're racing from this thing to that thing and we haven't got time for the systematic prayer but we'll shoot up a few prayers like, oh Lord, help me with this, oh Lord. We might do that. And if we are doing that kind of arrow prayer, which is lovely, the fact that we can do that, but we're not having giving time to be devoted to prayer, thankfulness may not feature because there's always the urgent, oh, you know, I've got to do this, help me. I need a parking space, help me. And thankfulness often is not my first inclination. Um, I, th- I think of those lepers, you know, in the, um, when Jesus healed ten lepers and they went off, cleansed, healed, and how many came back to say thank you? One. Where were the other nine? What were they thinking? Why didn't they take the time to say thank you? And I think, Unbelievable. And then I look at my own life and I realise there's so much that I have to be thankful for but I'm too busy thinking about other things that I need, that I want. And so the thankfulness gets washed away with, with the things that I'm asking for for the next round. How can we be more thankful? How can we be more systematic in our prayer lives? How can our prayers be marked by thankfulness? I remember reading a prayer letter of uh, some of our graduates uh, they send prayer letters to us so that we can know how to, we can be praying for them as a college, but also um, as friends. And uh, this one family, they were living and working in, um, in Southeast Asia in a fairly closed country. Uh, they felt very committed to being there. It was hard. Uh, they had to come home because uh, the husband, they've got four little kids, the husband was diagnosed with uh, an illness, um, cancer, and they had to come home for treatment. Anyway, so they, they've been home for a while. Uh, And in their prayer letter, um, fairly recently, they talked about how they had been inspired to be more proactive in their thanksgiving, uh, inspired by a book called 1,000 Gifts. I don't know if anyone has read it, uh, but really looking at how to thank God in the day-to-day, so-called mundaneness of life, how to be thankful, how to have lives marked by thankfulness. I want to read um, just part of their letter um, in, in relation to this. So this is what they wrote. After reading a really fantastic book called 1,000 Gifts, we have been inspired to keep a family Thanksgiving journal. And it has truly brought great joy to think of all the ways that we have been blessed, both big and small. We're up to 361 gifts we are thankful for at the moment, and we're aiming for 1,000. When we reach 1,000, we're going to celebrate. Here are some of the things that are featured in our Thanksgiving journal, and I've changed the names just to, to protect them. Daddy feeling well enough to take James to school. Falling asleep when it's raining. Fresh lettuce growing in our garden. A nice cup of Earl Grey tea in the morning. 
cuddles from Charlie, friends bringing gifts of eggs from their own chickens, Emily's fat rolls on her thighs. Now, Emily is a baby, I need to point out. (laughs) There comes a time when we cease to give thanks for those things. It's a great example, isn't it, of prayer that is thankful. It's looking at the, the things of life and seeing God's gracious hand in every part and giving thanks. Are we thankful as those who are in Christ? And are we watchful? Do we even have that concept in our hearts and our minds of what it needs to be watchful? I, I imagine that uh, in some of your churches, Uh, You might uh, pray, come Lord Jesus, come, as part of your liturgy, perhaps. Come Lord Jesus, come. We don't say it like that. We say, come Lord Jesus, come. Or we might pray, your kingdom come. Again, we won't say that. We'll say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Do we understand what we're praying? Come Lord Jesus, come. Do we really want Jesus to come? Do we really understand that he will come? Your kingdom come. Do we really want that? Perhaps we're more watchful about our next holiday. Perhaps that's what my tippy toes are looking for. Or a new kitchen, or a new car, or a marriage partner, or good schools, or any number of things. And these aren't bad things in themselves. But sometimes our lives are so focused on these things that we're watching for that our lives start to be driven by that. Jesus says where your treasure is, That is where your heart will be also. What are we watchful for? Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And then how are we praying for others? How are we praying for those who preach to to us week by week faithfully? That's a hard gig. Week by week, preaching. Are we praying for them? Are we praying that they'll be faithful? Are we praying that they'll be encouraged Are we praying that they would would, uh, not only grow in godliness themselves, but they would encourage us to be godly? Are we praying for them? That's a good thing to be praying for regularly, for those who lead us, those who teach us. And praying for those that we've sent out. Are we churches that have an outward focus and are we sending people out? And as we send them out, are we thinking, what good, okay, we'll see them when they come back in two or three years? Or are we praying for them that the Lord will open a door for their message? This is how we walk in Christ on our lips. Speaking to God about people. And Paul also writes about speaking to people about God. This is in verses 5 to 6. Have a look there. He writes, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, that is non-Christians. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, Paul's just described his responsibilities in telling people about Jesus. And now he's talking to them, the Colossian Christians, about their responsibilities in talking about Jesus. And that can be a scary thought. When you hear the word evangelism, we might think, you know, I can't do that. I know I'm going to muck it up. I don't really know what to say. I'll leave it to those who are gifted in that or are happy to do that, but that's scary. Have you ever thought like that? I think most do. And uh, I, don't think, I don't think it has to be as scary as it seems, even though it can be scary. 
Um, remember that Paul's writing to people who, well, I don't know how, how many years they've been Christians, so probably they hadn't been Christians for, for many years, so they would have been younger Christians. And so this is what he's saying to them, that always make the most of every opportunity. Now, uh, it's in- interesting to see what he actually says. He says, be wise in the way you act towards non-Christians. That's a pretty broad instruction. We've already heard this morning about wisdom in terms of spiritual wisdom being renewed by the Holy Spirit in our minds and in our hearts so that we have a new way of thinking and so we can actually uh, you know, have the, the truths of God, the gospel, bubbling up. And now he's applying this wisdom in the context of talking with other people. But notice that he doesn't write, make every opportunity. He says, make the most of every opportunity. And he talks in verse 6 about uh, a responsive type of evangelism, that is that you're, you're answering people, you're, you know, people are, are you're talking and you're, you're responding to them rather than browbeating them. You know, I think that, um, I don't know what it's like here, but I suspect it's fairly similar all around Australia. We live in a, a culture now that is increasingly antagonistic towards biblical Christianity. Do you find that here? Certainly the case in Sydney. Um, people are less tolerant. People talk a lot about tolerance and being, don't be narrow-minded, be open-minded, and yet when it comes to biblical Christianity, people are very intolerant. Uh, what God's word is saying here is uh, not always to feel the pressure to, in every single conversation, tell them the gospel, because that wouldn't make things very awkward. People will avoid you, like, just like when people are handing out things in a shopping centre, you take a wide berth around them. Um, sometimes uh, people might see a Christian coming and you know, take a wide berth because they think, oh, here we go, here we go again. What Paul is saying here, I think, is that we, if we, as we pray for opportunities, as we pray for doors to be opened, for hearts to be softened, there will be opportunities. And when those opportunities come, make the most of them. Be ready and willing to speak up as the opportunities come. Now, that can be scary too. I used to work as a flight attendant with Qantas many years ago. And I remember being in the galley, if you can picture the big 747s, the 400s with you know, the wingtips. They were the new planes back then. They're, they're quite old now. And uh, we'd be behind the curtains in the galley. If you've been on a big plane, you know there's the curtains. That's where the flight attendants are when they want to get away. And so you'd have these deep and meaningful conversations. And sometimes I would see the gospel conversation you know, coming. And I think, Ugh! I, had to, I was torn between staying there and, and talking about Jesus or answering a call bell. And the call bell often seemed the much easier option. Uh, so it can be scary. Uh, we, we're afraid that we'll, we'll blow it or we might be afraid that we might be ostracised. Uh, God is bigger than that and that's a great relief. Um, and uh, as we speak and we might feel like we blow it, um, he still uses it. He can redeem those things. So make the most of every opportunity. And, he, and Paul says, with conversations that are... Uh, salty and gracious. He says, let your conversation or literally your word or your speech be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Salty, that's my last name. So be like me. (laughs) So whether we're talking casually uh, with someone over a coffee or whether we're actually specifically sharing the gospel with someone, what this verse is saying, what God's word is saying is it's not only important what we say, but it's how we say it. You know, similar to what Peter says in his first letter in 1 Peter 3, where he says that, uh, be prepared to speak about Jesus, but always with gentleness and respect. 
full of grace, seasoned with salt. In the Greek world, uh, salty conversation was witty and winsome. In the, the Jewish Hebrew world, salty, salt was more about wisdom. And so what you've got here, I think, what Paul's bringing those two together and saying witty or winsome and wise words. And so he's, he's calling for Christians to speak with unbelieving neighbours and friends and family with gracious and warm words, all with the purpose of answering non-Christians. I think that if you picture sprinkling salt on food, sprinkling salt on a conversation, it's making it tasty, making it piquing people's interests, saying something that will make people go, what? Sorry? And then getting them to ask questions. Sometimes too, I think, when we're thinking about sharing Christ, we think that we're on the witness stand. What do you Christians believe about dot, dot, dot? Well, and then we go through our, our quick, you know, if, if we don't panic, go into panic mode, we think about what we can say to give a good uh, an account of what we believe. And, uh, and then that, that's where it stops. But if we can actually, I think salty and gracious conversation can actually be, what do you think? What do you, so what do you, you can't believe that there's a God. Well, what do you think? Do you think there's a God? And then we're putting them on the witness stand graciously and kindly but getting them to share what they believe. You learn a lot when you actually listen rather than speak. That, I think, is salty conversation. And I think we can be prepared too for these conversations. Think about, any, at the beginning of the day, the potential events of that day, the people that you're going to work with, the people that you're going to be talking with, the, maybe the mums that you're going to be meeting with you know, after school. Or perhaps we should be thinking about what other people are thinking about. What are the things that are happening in this world that people have on their minds? So that you can think about some way of responding to that with with a little bit of salt of the gospel. What are some of the things that people are thinking about right now that might be sort of, you know, coming to the, the service in conversations? What do you think people are thinking about? The missing plane. That's in the news a lot. And people will be going, isn't that terrible about that plane? Now, you know, you may not find an opportunity for the gospel, but at least you're thinking in those terms and you can be praying, Lord, help me, as if that comes up to how I can respond with some kind of gospel edge to it. Um, uh, the state elections last week, perhaps the, the fact that there are people, uh, younger people leaving the state, perhaps a, a growing elderly Population, perhaps that's that's on people's minds. Perhaps if you you know you're following Oscar Pistorius and his trial, perhaps you're thinking about uh, people are thinking about refugees and asylum seekers or what's happening in Syria. These are all the things that will be on people's minds. If we can be praying and thinking about how to respond, who knows what the Lord is going to do? And it might even mean someone saying, "Oh, how was your weekend? What did you do?" And just saying, "Oh, well, I went to church on Sunday." Now, you might get the, oh, okay, and then change of subject altogether. But who knows? People might say, oh, I didn't know you went to church. Where do you go? Oh, I go to the branch. I go to St. John's. Okay. How long have you been going there? And so now you, you seem to be heading down the track of, of, of a gospel opportunity. I think that's what Paul's talking about here. Be intentional. Pray. Be willing to speak up. And as you do that, you are being salty. And be gracious. 
There's no need. We don't have to be rude. We don't have to be sort of Bible bashing them. Gracious, gentle, respectful. That's being different. And that's what we're called to be as those who walk in Christ. A few years ago, I found myself living in America for a few years. And uh, I lived in the northern suburbs of Chicago. I don't know if you've ever been to Chicago. It's a beautiful city. I used to think it was, before I went there, that was kind of an ugly industrial city. Clearly, I didn't know because it's the most beautiful city on on a, a huge lake. Anyway, I lived in the northern suburbs and I loved living there. I loved the seasons. A little bit like Tasmania, you have seasons. We don't have seasons in Sydney. We have summer and not so summer, but, you know... But they, they have the fall, you know, autumn. They have, uh, they have a very hot summer, but they have a really cold winter. They've had a particularly cold winter. Lots of snow, white Christmases. I loved it. And I loved the people. The people are very friendly. They're very uh, affirming. You know, Americans can be like that. And, and, you know, we tend to knock people down and they tend to build people up. It's nice to be around people who build you up. And, uh, and they love the Aussie accent. They love the Aussie accent. And uh, so, you know, they would love it when I would say things like, um, how are you going? So I thought that was so wonderful. <laughs> and they loved it when I talked about, here's a prezi, or uh, have you got your sunnies? And, and do, you want, do you want to meet for brekkie? They loved it. <laughs> and, you know, I'm someone who picks up accents very easily, not, not because I want to, but just because that's just me. I just do that. But I was really careful to work on my Aussie accent because I knew it was an asset. And also they told me that I sounded smart. So that was also another bonus. But the thing is, I'm an Aussie. And I'm a proud Aussie. I love Australia. And I was proud that that my accent says something about who I am. You see, what was on my lips was different because of who I am. And as Christians, what is on our lips is different because of who we are. It's good to think about what our accent is like. What is our Christian accent like? How do we speak? How are we different? Are there gospel priorities coming out of our lips, the flow on of the reality of who we are in Christ, the gospel of grace? This passage reminds us and challenges us, perhaps rebukes us about what is on our lips as we pray. Who are we praying for? How are we praying? As we speak to those that God gives us to speak to, what, is, what does that look like? being gracious and salty with the wisdom that comes with the Spirit of God dwelling in our hearts, enabling us to speak on behalf of, of Jesus Christ and having a joy that, has, that comes with that. See, if you are in Christ, you have been raised with him. You have been transformed. Yes, on The Biggest Loser, there are amazing transformations that don't even come close to what it is to be transformed in Christ. Far more radical. And so my prayer for us is that as we continue to walk in Christ, as we continue to delight in what he's done for us, that that will be seen in how we speak, both to God and to others. I'm going to pray for us now as we think about that. Our Father, we we thank you that uh, as we think about these things and perhaps when it comes to speaking to people about Jesus, that is a bit scary. We thank you that we're never alone, that we have your spirit dwelling in our hearts and uh, that we're only doing what you want us to do and you enable us to do that. Father, we pray that our prayer lives would increasingly reflect an understanding of our relationship with you through Jesus. 
May we be women of prayer, devoted to prayer. May we be women who are thankful and watchful, praying for those who serve us in the local church and who go out on behalf of us. And may we be women who, even if it's scary, uh, may we be women who look for those opportunities and make the most of those opportunities. And may we be winsome and, and witty and wise with a, with a gospel accent. We can't do this on our own, Father. We never can. We pray that you'll enable us and use us for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.